Let's pray together. Our good and our holy God, we thank you for a chance to gather and worship you in this place today. Lord, we thank you for these songs that we've had an opportunity to sing together. We thank you for the reminder that you do sing over us as the victor, as the king, as the Lord. We thank you for a chance to greet one another, a chance to give, a chance to pray. And God, we thank you for your word. We open it now. We ask you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us tender hearts that will receive your word like a seed planted in fertile soil. Lord, we ask you to give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. We pray that you'd make our hands strong, that our work in this earth would be as your very own. And Lord God, we pray that a word of life, love, and hope would be found on our tongues. God, this is our prayer in the strong name of the Trinity. And we pray together saying, Amen. Amen. Friends, be seated. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the third chapter of Jonah. This is our third installment uh, in a sermon series on the book of Jonah, the granddaddy of all fishing stories. I was recently reminded by Mark Twain never to tell fishing stories where people know you. Especially don't tell fishing stories where people know the fish. Well, this is a great old fishing story. God knew the, knew the principal character Jonah through and through, and he also talked to the fish. I think it's pretty, pretty fantastic. Let me remind you, in the first chapter, God tells Jonah to go and preach in Nineveh. And Jonah says, nope. He turns the other direction and he runs for, for Tarsus as far away as he can get. From Nineveh, he looks at the benevolent God that was his, and he said, I'll do it my own way. And that's just the way God has set things up. He's made life where, where we can live in freedom. He's offered us love. He's offered us opportunity. He's offered us a chance to walk with him and live the life that he's called us to live. But he's also given us this wild and crazy gift. And that gift is the ability to receive or reject to say yes or to say no. And Jonah said no, and he ran away. Well, God, in his stubborn love for Jonah, stirred things up. And he wound up sinking in the midst of the sea. And he wound up in the, in the swimming grave that is a fish. And we have last week a message where we have this, this great poem taken from different passages in the book of Psalms. This, this picture of a heart that is returning to God. Last week we saw where Jonah came, came before God and he prayed the word and he made vows that he would live out the call. We see him uh, repenting and bringing his heart back before the Lord. And he was spit upon the beach. And we pick up in chapter 3. After Jonah lands on dry land, chapter 2, verse 10, we read, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Aren't you glad for second chances, fresh opportunities? Man, I'm working on my, about my 1700th, I think. Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. Okay, here we go. Here's a new opportunity, a fresh thing. Get up and go to Nineveh. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So far, so good. 
Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. That's big. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He just propped up next to a ziggurat and started shouting. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. And everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the, by the decree of the kings and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? I love that, don't you? Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he has said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But, one of these days, you're going to understand how important the word but is in the Bible. But, 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 this was very displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew, I knew it, I knew it. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. I knew it. Here it is. And now, oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right, Jonah, for you to feel this way, for you to think this way? Is it this anger? Is it right? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade wanting to see what would become of the city. And now God just starts to mess with him in the most wonderful kind of way. Then the Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah 
to give shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. Oh, you don't like, you don't like the sun, do you? Here's some shade. It's going to be great, Jonah. It's going to be great. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. He really liked it. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. Now, we talked about how God spoke to the fish. I wonder what God, how a conversation with the worm goes. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, he said again, it is better for me to die than to live. But God, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, for which you did not labor and which you did not grow, it came into being in a night and it perished in a night. Here and gone. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and also many animals. And that was the last word, animals. What a wild and wonderful story. And what do we learn from it? We've learned a number of important things already, but, but when we come to this last, this final section, and we see Jonah blow his second chance... We, we see Jonah do the work but miss the heart of God. We, we see Jonah's actions here and his heart there, his desires here and his thoughts there, all jumbled up, disconnected, a lack of integrity. All of his life just not integrated at all, a lack of integrity. We see Jonah blow it. What do we make of it? How do we understand it? Does it have anything to say about how we live our life 2016 in Central Texas, I suggest probably so. I think there's a number of things that we learn, a number of reasons why this prophet bobbled the ball, why he messed up, and why he lost out on, on partnering with God in the kind of way that would, that would bring life and vitality and joy to his own experience. He could have had that, and he missed it. Quite often, we blow these kind of opportunities as well. What got in his way? What tripped him up? Since some of you like three points in alliteration, I'll give you three points that are all start with P. I don't always alliterate sermons, but when I do, it's always brought to you by the letter P. There's a couple of things that I think are important for us to jot down as we scribble down thoughts about this sermon. Well, was the one thing that was just the clearest that got in his way was, was a real sense of of prejudice. Jonah didn't want to go and preach to the Ninevites 
because he didn't like Ninevites. Just flat, didn't like them. He showed a willingness to sacrifice for others. For the sake of the Phoenician sailors, he was willing to give his life. But his attitude was not the same for the Ninevites. Jonah was narrow and he was nationalistic and he was protectionistic and he wanted Israel to flourish. And that's a positive thing, to want your people to flourish. But he looked over the hill at the Ninevites and he saw the rising power of the Ninevites as a threat to his own people and he purposed in his heart, he decided in his heart that he was against the Ninevites. His mission could have been a mission of peace from God and in fact... Israel benefited from the repentance of the Ninevites. But he, he couldn't see it. He couldn't accept it. For him, the Ninevites were clearly them against his, us, and we. He didn't see them as people with, with blood, red blood beating in their hearts and in their veins. As people created in the image of God. He saw them as a threat, as a category, as a problem to be solved. And that's all he could see. Even when God said, go, he said no. Because he didn't like the Ninevites. Years ago on a Sunday evening, I was preaching through Jonah in our little church. And, and after the service, a catfish farmer who, who became one of my great mentors in life, he, he came and he sat down. Uh, and it took me years to understand what he was really saying. But he said, man, I, I need you to understand. I believe everything you preach from, from this third chapter, fourth chapter of Jonah. I believe everything you say. I be, and I believe it's scripture. I believe it's the word of God. And I, and I believe that the Bible says all that stuff about, about prejudice. But you've got to understand, this is South Mississippi. And before any of you smugly sit there and say, uh-huh, it is South Mississippi. I've met those narrow kind of attitudes everywhere I've been. What he was saying was, hey, if you get the theology down, if you get Bible down, if you get the heart of God down, you still haven't gotten all the way there when it comes to this issue because it's not totally a, an issue of, of thought and belief and truth. It's not totally an issue of understanding. There's something, there's something more than, than, than acquiring knowledge and there's something more than reason and rationality. He says, so once you get those things down, you still got a way to journey. Notice, Jonah understood the theology of the wideness of God's mercy. He got it. He totally understood intellectually. He said, God, this is why I didn't want to go. Because I had this, this sneaking suspicion that if I preached... And they responded in, in any way that indicated an opening. Then you are going to be kind to them. You are going to be merciful to them. You are going to relent. God, he understood the heart of God. And still, still ran against it. Last Sunday I talked about the interplay between three important realities. That's how we think. It's what we do. And what we desire. These are like three 
strands that come together to make a very strong cord. And that very strong cord is who we are. For Jonah, he got the practice down. He did what God told him to do. And he had the thinking right. He knew, he knew what God was like. But you know what was frayed? His desires. At this point, you see again a manifestation of his busted want to. His desires all out of whack. That's what got him. And if you look back at your own life, if you look back at your own experience, man, it's the desire one that gets us all the time. Because we're more than rational beings. We're emotional beings. And all of these things have to line up under the lordship of God and his power. You ever scratch your head and said, why do smart people do really stupid things? Have you ever looked in the mirror and said, smart person, why have you done such a stupid thing? Sure, sure. It's the desires of your heart. Prejudice is only overcome when the desires of our heart change. Yes, our practice must be right. We must do justice. But we must also love mercy. And the love of mercy and the love of people, the love of people only changes as we submit our way to God and ask Him to mold and to shape our hearts. And if we're unwilling to do that, we just end up pouting under the pity plant. And that's no way to live. And that's no place to be. All right. You love peas. Here's the second one. A misguided sense of pleasure. Now, pleasure is a gift from God. Pleasure is a beautiful thing. C.S. Lewis writes about this so convincingly. But when pleasure is taken out of its proper place uh, and, it, and it's given sort of the, the, the primacy in our life, it makes us do really dumb things. When you read these two chapters, the only time Jonah was happy at all was for that one brief moment when he had that vine covering his head. And we read, Jonah was very happy about the bush. It's a very funny line. Jonah had a lot to be happy about, but the only thing written down was he was happy about the gourd bush. It was almost like, have you ever seen kudzu, like deep south Japanese kudzu growing? Our pastor, when I was a kid, uh, he, he left our church when I was in high school to go to a church in Colorado. And at his going away party, someone presented him with a potted plant. It was a little plant of kudzu. You don't know what kudzu is? Look it up. You've all got computers in your pocket. Google, Google that thing. You can't lie willingly in sermons anymore because everybody fact checks you right, right there. Beautiful little green plant. He was given the instructions, plant this at the base of the Rocky Mountains and let's see what happens. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> it great? Uh, well, it's kind of had this magical kudzu vine in this Jonah story. And Jonah's just up there pouting and waiting for the fire to fall or whatever. And, it, and the wind is blowing on his face. And here comes the vine. He's very, very happy. 
He's giddy like a child on Christmas morning. He's so happy. He's so happy. Until you eat Christmas lunch and you find out that that kid's playing with the box and the wrapping paper because all the glitter is gone. And the want to becomes disappointment because the vine withers and goes away and with it the fleeting, immature, childish happiness. And then he wanted to die again because his kudzu was gone. What we have here is a man that has misapplied passions and pleasures. The only delight was for the fleeting happiness of the vine here today, gone tomorrow. In North America, our driving passion, it might not be for pleasure, but it's certainly for security. For security. If I get such and such, if I make such and such, if I achieve so and so, if they call me this or that, then I'll finally be okay. Until you get the degree and you make the money and you marry the girl and you still keep grabbing for more. You still keep grabbing for more. God said, Miss your vine, do you? God loved him enough. To get in this business. Because he wanted him to know there was something more. There was something more vital. Something more real. And that something more was was God and his purpose and his plan and his life and his love. Prejudice can get you. The The misunderstood pursuit. The misapplied pursuit of pleasure can get you. But the real, the real clincher for Jonah... And this is the one that gets all of us from time to time. And it's pride. Pride. So Jonah, he's out there on the beach. He's become fish spit. He's wiping all the slobber off his forehead. And God says to him again, all right, I got something for you to do. Okay, I'll do it. You got it. He walks a day's journey across Nineveh. He finds a place to set up shop. I don't know if it's like Jackson Square in New Orleans where they read your palm. There's pigeons everywhere. You know, almost like free speech alley at some university. I don't know where. I don't know if it's the overpass on 35 where Virgil prays for all of us. I drive much more carefully when I don't see Virgil out there. (laughs) I tell you. I don't know where he set up shop, but he found a place. The day he's walking to Nineveh and he set up shop. And he delivered what I can only refer to as a boy named Sue sermon. Do you remember the song, Boy Named Sue? Johnny Cash sang it, but it was written by Shel Silverstein. Yes, that's Shel Silverstein. The little poems you read to your children, they were written by a crazy man. <laughs> Shel Silverstein made David Allen Coe look like a junior leaguer. But he wrote Boy Named Sue. And in the, in the line, there's where he says... I'm Sue. How do you do? Now you're going to die. Do you remember that? So Jonah shows up in town and he says, Hi, I'm Jonah from the beach. 
you're going to die. 40 days, you're going to die. And for 40 days, he preaches the boy named Sue Sermon. And they're like, man, that's serious. Maybe we should do something about that. Maybe he's, not, maybe he's right. Maybe they heard about the fish. Maybe it's a great story. Maybe they heard it. Fishing stories travel fast. And they said, let's get our act together. And so they repent. They come back to God. And everybody, everybody in the town, they make the dogs and cats and goldfish fast. It's a religious revival that gets down into the gerbil population. Everybody in town is getting right with God. And God, like the Cujo dogs, the crazy dogs, acting better. So God, in his compassion, relents to that. And for 40 days, Jonah had been promising them all they were going to die. And God didn't send out a, you know, a letter to everybody in town. Oh, by the way, don't blame this on Jonah. He told him what I told to say. But look, I changed my mind. He's not a bad prophet who missed it. I mean, they didn't explain to the town that it wasn't Jonah who missed it, but it was God who changed his, his path. And so Jonah's over there going, well, well, all these people are going to live and I'm going to look stupid. Where's my gourd? Let me sit down and pout. He would have rathered them all perish than for him to lose face. What do we sacrifice? What are we willing to inflict so that we do not lose face? Jonah, he loved that vine. It was here and it's gone. Shouldn't, shouldn't together we be able to love these people? 120,000 people, men, women, boys, and girls, who don't know their right from their left. Do you hear the words of Jesus? Forgive them, Father, for they don't, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Father. Forgive them, Father. It's a well-timed warning sign. <laughs> Somebody tell me what's going on. David Hoffman, your, your authority. It's going to flood? Well, get ready! <laughs> this ought to be fun on TV next week. You know? <laughs> oh, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Let's say you're in Nineveh and it goes off like that. What do you do? <laughs> I think you know. I think you know what you ought to do. There is a real chance. There is a real chance that Jonah, that Jonah repented. R.T. Kendall thinks he did. R.T. Kendall thinks that Jonah brought his heart back to God, and this is his justification for that. In his little book, Controlling the Tongue, Kendall said this about Jonah. How do we know 
Jonah repented? Because in telling the whole story of what happened, he gave God the last word. When our words come back to haunt us and show how low we can stoop in needing our self-esteem bolstered, we must thank God for His gracious dealings with us and then stop arguing with Him. Give Him the last word. Some of you right now are duking it out with God. Give Him the last word. Give him the last word. God, we thank you for being who you are. We thank you for that great tension in life that is, that it is in between promise and fulfillment. And God, we thank you for the humorous and strong ways that you remind us of your warning calls. God, help us to respond to you and live and love and be full of all that you have to offer. God, as we come today, we come asking you to change us and shape us. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen and amen. Friends, as we respond, respond in faith and in hope and in love to the work of God in your life. Let's stand. And let's sing together.